Well, good morning. Um, I'm Lindsay Rich. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And, um, you know, I just wanted to start off by talking to you for a minute about this Books of the Bible book that we're reading together. And uh, Chris and Pastor Kyle already mentioned this in the announcements. Um, this is the, the New Testament formatted in a different way, and we're reading this through um, during this season of Lent going up to Easter. And this past week, we actually reached the halfway point in reading this. And, um, you know, I was thinking about it this week and thinking that there are probably people in our community here who didn't join in with reading us, and you think, you know, oh, I just really missed out on that. Um, and I just wanted to say it's not too late. Uh, we would still love for you to join us in reading. So, you know, there are some things in life that you really got to get in on it at the very beginning if you want to participate. Um, I don't know, things like roller coasters, right? Or like an airplane ride or something. Like you really got to get in at the first get-go um, or else you miss out. But this isn't that. Um, we would actually love to have you join us. And I think that joining in for the second half of this would be still really beneficial and that you would find some richness and life in doing that. So I want to invite you to join us in that um, and to know that you would not be alone in your reading because we're all reading this together. Um, this phrase of you are not alone is something that we have been, uh, I have been thinking about a lot this week, and uh, we are going to think about this morning. It's one of those kinds of phrases that, depending on your circumstance, might land a bit differently, that it means something different depending on your situation and how you hear those words. And so I don't know what you think of when we say you are not alone, but this week I went and I pulled up some images from the internet because I thought that would be fun for us to think about this morning together. And so I just want to show you some of these pictures and to think together about what you are not alone might mean in different contexts. And so this first picture um, that we have this morning is actually taken from a United Methodist conference that was going on. And it obviously was pre-pandemic because nobody is wearing a face mask. Um, but just this idea of you are not alone and seeing an image like that of being surrounded and embraced by people and hearing these words, you are not alone. The next image uh, that I want to show you it's a little close to home for me. So this is like a picture of a mom who's trying to work from home at her computer. And then there's this boy who is banging on pots and pans and making noise. And so I hear this as, you are not alone, right? You are never alone. And it is never quiet. Um, and so this is a different context for hearing these words, you are not alone. The next image uh, that I found is one of outer space. Right? And if you could imagine looking into a telescope or looking across just the vast expanse of the sky and seeing planets and stars and then hearing these words, you are not alone, has a whole different meaning in that context. And then this last picture that I want to show you, if you can imagine swimming in the ocean and then you turn and look and you see a shark and you realize you are not alone, right? It has all these different meanings depending on the context and the situation that you hear a phrase like you are not alone. And so today we're going to circle back to that and this idea of you are not alone in just a minute. We are in the middle of a sermon series right now that is called Because of the Cross. And so we're talking about these different things in our lives that are true because of the cross. And when we say cross, what we're really talking about is Jesus. We're talking about the reality of who Jesus is 
and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us in dying on the cross and the power that God demonstrated in raising Jesus back to life. And so we're talking about what is true in our lives because of the cross, and we're talking about these different things each week. And so today, we're going to look at the reality that because of the cross, we are not alone. And that comes across differently in different situations and circumstances. And we read about it differently in the Bible in different stories. And so sometimes that phrase, you are not alone, might be very comforting. And at other times it might be challenging. And I want us to look at all of those things because no matter how it lands, in the context of our faith, it is always a good thing and will lead us into more full and faithful life with Jesus. And so for us to think about this today, I want us to look at a rather familiar story from the Bible. We're going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke. Um, And this story starts out with a man who is a lawyer, and he's having a conversation with Jesus. And he asks him this question about what he has to do to receive eternal life. So let's read that together. This comes from the 10th chapter of Luke. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So, He asked this question, what must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus points him back to the Hebrew scripture. And it's maybe not that surprising that an expert in the law could quote the law. And he correctly remembered that to have eternal life, you love the Lord with your whole self and you love your neighbor as yourself. And both of these things, loving God and loving our neighbor, remind us that we are not alone. And so we're going to look at both of these things this morning. And I want us to start by talking about what it is to love God. Because in my experience, a lot of time when we talk about this story and these verses, this first part of loving God is often moved past rather quickly. And we spend more time talking about loving our neighbor because we recognize some of the complexity in that. But sometimes we, we think that it's kind of a given, almost that it is an easy thing to do for us to love God. But I don't think that that's always true. And I think that sometimes um, when we hear this response, right, what is it, what is required for us to have eternal life, right, the response is that we respond to God's love by loving him back. And I think that if you've ever been disappointed by someone, then that might be something that's a little bit tricky to do. And I think that as people, just as humans, that we are all set up in a lot of ways to have experienced disappointment by other people, right? We've experienced being let down by people in different ways. And so that'll show up in various forms, right? But maybe there was a community that you thought would stand with you or a business partner that you thought would be faithful to you or a spouse that you thought would always love you or a friend that you thought would surely come and check on you, right? We have these things where we have thought that people would be more faithful and show up for us and then they haven't and things sort of fall apart. And when we have these kinds of experiences in life, it can make trust more difficult, 
And then it's almost like we can't imagine ourselves being vulnerable enough to actually trust that this kind of love, this kind of faithful love that Jesus has for us, that it's for us. And we have a more difficult time reacting relaxing into the reality that God loves us and that we can respond to that love by loving him back. And so that can be a little bit tricky for us. And sometimes that's because I think of ourselves, right, that we know what we are capable of. And it might be that you think that you're disqualified from that kind of love, that you think that if everybody else knew about you what you know about you, then they would agree that there is something about you that isn't worthy of that kind of love. And so you have a hard time receiving something like that. Or maybe you've been so wounded by other people. Maybe somebody else has broken your heart so much that you think that the only person that you can actually trust is yourself because other people have let you down in such a dramatic way that you think they've shown you that, that they're not going to hold up their end of things. And that other people are not going to be a soft place for you. And so it's hard to imagine that if people who you can see let you down like that, how can you trust a God who you can't see? And what does it look like to relax into that kind of a love and to respond in love in the face of that? Sometimes when we talk about loving God, we talk about it in a way as if we think it's easy. And sometimes... It's not. And I think that sometimes that's why in the church we revert back to behavior modification. We kind of relax into this way of rather than teaching people about loving God, we talk about what we think um, God would want us to do. And so we talk about the way that we should dress and the Christian jargon and words that we ought to use when we're talking about God. And we give these people a list of shoulds, right? You should do this and you should do that. When actually the way of Jesus and the way of the kingdom invites us into something that is much more tender and it's much more vulnerable and it's something that for many of us can feel a little frightening. Scripture tells us that an integral part of, of this life with God forever is loving God. That the way to have eternal life is not doing a list of things, right? Sometimes I wish I could just like tattoo that on my face, right? Like the, we don't get into heaven because of a checklist, right? I want to see that every time I look at myself in the mirror and remind myself every day, Right? This is, that is not the way of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is responding to God's love and learning to love God back. Right? This is the way that we have eternal life. This is what the kingdom of God is about, is actually loving God. There are these three short books at the end of the New Testament, uh, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. They're not terribly creative titles, but they get the job done, I guess. And in 1 John chapter 4, it talks about love. And in this chapter, it reminds us um, that we love because God loved us first, and that love comes from God, and that God himself actually is love. And I don't know about you, but for me, this is something that is really encouraging, because it means that I don't have to manufacture love to give to God. I don't have to come up with it on my own. That actually what we do is we respond to the reality of who God is, that he is love. 
And so when we decide to follow Jesus, what happens is that we actually get grafted in, right? This vine and branches bit where we are in God and he is in us. And the Holy Spirit who is God actually lives inside of us. And that is really good news for us because it means that we are never alone, that God himself is with us. And this means that God doesn't just live in a church building, right? As amazing as this space is, this is not where God lives. God makes us his dwelling place. He actually lives in us. God doesn't just live on a faraway throne. He's in my living room, right? He's with you wherever you're watching from. We don't just meet God at the communion table. We meet him at our kitchen table. Right? You see where I'm going with this, that there is this reality of the presence of God being with us, Emmanuel, that we are never alone. One of the times when I personally felt the closeness of God the most was when I was sobbing on my bathroom floor. This was a number of years ago, and um, I had a friendship that meant a whole lot to me, that was falling apart in a really dramatic way. And there were dominoes that were affecting a lot of things. And it was the middle of the night, and I couldn't sleep. And I was crying so much that I thought I was going to wake everyone in my house up. And so I went into the bathroom, and I shut the door, and I turned the fan on, and I was just crying. And I started to pray. And what was a real moment of despair for me turned into a really tender moment where I actually felt the Lord with me in that moment of just real sorrow and sadness, right? This is the promise that we have, that God is near, that he didn't just create the world and set it off to spin, right? But that God is with us and we are never alone, Right? And so part of living in God's kingdom, part of this forever eternal life with God is us learning and growing in our ability to actually respond to the love of God and to love him back. And if that doesn't feel like something that, that you resonate with right now, if this kind of emotional connection with God is something that doesn't feel like you understand or that it doesn't fit right now, I just want to encourage you this morning and to say, I haven't always felt that either, and I don't always feel that, and there is nothing wrong with you, and you are not broken, and also there is an invitation for you and for me to know that within this relationship of God loving us, that we can learn to love him. And I've actually started praying and just asking God to help me to love him. Because I don't want to just do the things that I think God wants me to do. I want the way of eternal life that is actually to love God. The second part of uh, this story is maybe even better known than the first part that we read. Um, after Jesus told the lawyer um, that to love God and love his neighbor is, you know, the way to eternal life, uh, the lawyer responded by asking another question uh, about who is my neighbor. And in response to that, Jesus told this story of the Good Samaritan. And so I want us to read that uh, together. 
uh, but he, this is talking about the lawyer, wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So when uh, Jesus asked this lawyer what the law required, right, when he, when he said, you know, hey, well, wh what do you think? The, the man responded um, by saying, you know, love God and love neighbor. And I think one of the first connection points that we can have in reading this story and hearing about the Good Samaritan and knowing this love God, love neighbor, is that loving God is not enough. Right, when we think about the kingdom of God and what it is to share an eternal life of loving God forever, it's not just loving God, right? That it's love God and love neighbor. And, and so what we know is that as good as it is for us to love God, right? As, as much as we want to believe in God and we want to study the scriptures and we want to fast and we want to pray and we want to have hearts that are devoted to the Lord and turned towards Jesus, that actually that's not it. There is also this other part of loving our neighbor. Because of the cross, we are not alone. And that not only means that God's presence is with us, it means that, that following Jesus is not a solo sport, right? It means that we don't follow Jesus independently of other people. It means that we can't have a life of faith without it being impacted by and interwoven with other people. And I think that those of us who follow Jesus, I think that we get this. I really do. I think that there is something in us that understands that there is a community aspect to this life of faith. We know that how we treat each other matters. And we know that we belong to each other. Right? I think that the challenge for us in this story is that for many of us, what we want is we want to be able to choose who we belong to. We want to have a hand in, in selecting the people that we are interconnected with. And so for those of us who have ears to hear, I think that we can hear our own voices in the question that this lawyer is asking Jesus. The question that he asked of who is my neighbor? Scripture says that he was asking this question to justify himself. And that means that he was asking a good question with a bad motive. Right? And asking who is my neighbor, what he was actually asking 
is who is not my neighbor? Who do I not have to love? Is there something about me in who I am, in my identity or in my calling that would give me a pass so that there are people who I don't have to pay attention to them, right? Who I don't have to be influenced by their plight. And not only did he want to pass, right? It says he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to feel good about it. He wanted to feel righteous about it, that this was a good and a holy thing, actually, that it was better for him to not pay attention to certain people and to not show love to certain people, right? Are there people who don't deserve this kind of love? Are there people who it's actually better for me to not pay attention based on who I am or something about me? This question of who am I required to love, it just feels as relevant today as ever. Um, One of my really great friends is Asian, and I was talking with her a few weeks ago about the attacks that have been happening on um, Americans who are of Asian descent. So I don't know if you've heard this, but the coronavirus has been called the China virus, or Kung Flu by some people. And this kind of jargon, researchers say, has really contributed to um, attacks on the Asian American community. And so there are some people who would try to make um, people who are Asian feel like they don't belong, uh, that they are somehow dirty or disease infested and that they aren't one of us, right? To make them feel other. And so they have been attacked verbally and physically on the streets. And my friend was talking with me about how this was impacting her. Who are we required to love? And what does that look like? One of the things that I think is really interesting about this story um, is that the question that this lawyer was asking was about a neighbor, right? And he was really speaking in general terms. Uh, neighbor is not a specific person, right? It's just this generality. And Jesus, when he was answering and responding, it was almost like he was forcing him to look at a specific person, to actually bring it down to a personal level and not leave it in the area of generalities. And I think that's really significant because people's stories are really powerful, And getting to know people face-to-face and coming up close is really um, impactful. Because when you see someone and when you know what's going on with them, it's a lot less easy to just dismiss them. In the story, um, it says that the priest and the Levite, when they saw the man who was half-dead, they actually crossed to the other side of the street. And we don't know why this happened. Um, The Bible doesn't tell us that. People who write commentaries about this, they love to speculate about this, right? About why they did that. Why did they cross to the other side? And they talk about things like um, maybe they thought they were actually dead. And if they touched a dead body, then they would have been unclean and couldn't have performed their priestly duties. Or maybe because it was a violent uh, act and it was a violent road that if they got too close that they would physically put themselves in danger. And so they were trying to protect themselves. Right? There are actually people um, who have written about the, the fact that this might have been a true story. The Bible doesn't actually call it a parable. We usually do, uh, but Scripture doesn't say that. And so they were saying this is a, a, um, 
a real road that really was dangerous. And so they were talking about the fact that on this violent road, that it's interesting that these religious people hadn't taken steps to make sure that the road itself was more safe. And so they talk about the fact that as religious people, it's much easier for us to maintain our religious systems than it is for us to impact neighborhoods. That's maybe a another point of speculation that people talk about. We don't know what's true of these things, but what we do know is that the priest and the Levite both crossed over to the other side of the road. And what that means is that they weren't close enough to this man to maybe realize that him being half dead meant that he was actually half alive and that he was in pain and that he needed help and that they could have stepped in. It was the Samaritan who came along, who had compassion on the man, who came and, and Scripture tells us, took oil and wine and poured it on his wounds, and then he put him on his own donkey, which meant that he would have to walk. And then he used his own money to pay for his care. And so what we see in this story is the Samaritan who gave up his own advantage in order to care for someone who society would have said was someone who shouldn't have mattered to him, right? Based on, on their people groups, based on where they lived in the region, right? This wasn't someone who they would say you had an obligation to. Jesus turns this whole question of who is my neighbor upside down. Right, the lawyer was asking, who do I have to show love to? And Jesus' response was, which man was loving? Right, which of these people was demonstrating the characteristics of my kingdom? I've been following um, the news a little bit, and I have been paying attention to what's been going on in Myanmar. Um, there was uh, a military coup a few weeks ago and in response to that, there have been protests that have been going on across the country. And uh, security forces um, have been trying to stop the protests. And one of the methods that they are using to stop it is they have been shooting into the crowds of protesters. And they've just killed dozens and dozens of people. And this past week, um, there was a nun, Sister Anne Rose. And uh, we actually have a picture of her she went out and she got on her knees in front of a line of police and she was pleading with them to stop shooting into the crowd. And she was asking for them to care for the lives of these protesters. And at one point she actually called out and said, if you're going to kill someone, kill me instead. And I've been so moved thinking about her story and thinking about this woman who gave up her advantage and who literally put her life, her physical body, in between her and people who she saw as more vulnerable than her. And I've been thinking about the Good Samaritan, and I've been thinking about this nun, and I've been thinking, you know, what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us at South Park Church? Right? We don't come across very many half-dead people on the side of the road. And we don't have a situation in Charlotte like they're experiencing in Myanmar. But what, where is God calling us to give up an advantage? Right? What people in our society or in our city have been oppressed, have been taken advantage of, who have been left behind as if what happens to them doesn't matter? 
What does this story mean for us today? What does it look like for us to love our neighbor and to just show extravagant love? Because of the cross, we are not alone. Can you imagine what it would look like if we did this more and more? If we stepped into these places of caring for our neighbor in ways uh, that we gave up our own advantage to care for someone else, right? What does it actually look like for us to put someone on our donkey and to walk ourselves? How does that translate today? Like, what is the invitation that God is giving each of us to remember that we are interwoven, like our lives connect with each other, and that we are not alone. Friends, I want you today to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, we are not alone. And that means that you will not be abandoned, and you will not be forgotten, and you will never be without God's love. And that also means that you will never be without an opportunity to share God's love with the people around you because God's love won't run out. And also, the people to whom we can share God's love is so wide and broad. We don't have to narrow it. So as we leave today, let's go responding to the words of Jesus to love God and to love our neighbor knowing that we are never alone. Amen.